News, weather, traffic, money, politics, big interviews, and bold opinions. It's what's happening right now. This is Mornings with Simi. The Biden administration will not send any diplomatic or official representation to the Beijing 2022 Winter Olympics and Paralympic Games. All right. So that was the United States White House press secretary announcing that the U.S. will not be sending any diplomatic representation to the upcoming Beijing Olympics. Then this morning, U.K. Prime Minister Boris Johnson has said they will also not be sending top officials to the Beijing Olympics, so effectively joining a diplomatic boycott set in motion by the United States. So where does this leave Canada? Is there an expectation that Canada would be joining that diplomatic boycott? Well, the newly confirmed ambassador to Canada from the U.S. says, well, he expects both countries to be aligned in its policy towards China. Well, to talk more about that, we're joined now by Reggie Giacchini, our Global News Washington correspondent. Good morning, Reggie. Good morning. Okay, so what does that mean, aligned? Does that mean Canada better get in line here? I think what we were hearing from the ambassador is that uh, language spoken by uh, the prime minister when he was in Washington last month kind of fell in line with what the thought process was going to be in Washington, uh, and that was to put a diplomatic boycott in place. Uh, it's worth pointing out there have been no kind of confirmations coming out of Ottawa that this is something that's going to happen. And I think it also is worth reminding that, you know, during the pandemic, it was difficult for both countries to kind of stand in lockstep with each other when it came to simple things like border security. Security. That said, it would be difficult to see Canada going forward with a diplomatic mission in Beijing if the United States and places like you mentioned, the UK, along with Scotland and New Zealand and Australia, if they were all starting to step aside. Yeah. Is there, are there questions in Washington right now about what is taking Canada so long to make up its mind on this thing? I mean, look, there are uh, there are reports that Washington is uh, a little frustrated with the fact that Canada has been dragging its feet when it comes to uh, matters related to China, uh, you know, kind of hearkening back to the Huawei situation. Uh, the U.S. really wants Ottawa to make a decision here. Uh, but Canada ultimately is is treading lightly. Uh, and that's because Canada has been caught in the wrath of China before, notably with uh, the two Michael situation. They see what China can do when a country decides that it is going to go against against a decision that China has done, and that is bid for the Olympic Games and kind of make itself uh, a superpower on a super stage for a couple of weeks in February. That said, according to the ambassador, if he feels that Ottawa is going to be falling in line with what Washington is saying, it really is putting the ball in Ottawa's court to say, now's the time to act. There's been a lot of emphasis, it seems like, Reggie, on international kind of relations last week or so coming out of the Biden White House. I mean, there was a meeting just you know the other day, virtual, of course, uh, between Vladimir Putin and Joe Biden. Yeah, there was a meeting between the two of them. It was a two-hour and one-minute meeting. It was their first time uh, holding a face-to-face since they were in uh, Geneva. Uh, and there was, again, controversy surrounding this. Obviously, there's the situation with Russia uh, putting its troops up against Ukraine's border and whether or not that's going to force Ukraine to possibly step away from uh, wanting so badly to be a part of NATO and kind of cozying up to the West as Russia sees it. But there have been critics in the United States that say uh, Joe Biden putting too much focus on Russia, putting too much focus on domestic issues at home home, be it spending, be it the COVID crisis, uh, that he is again pushing China off to the side and potentially not giving it the attention that it deserves. So no matter what situation we're in right now, the president is facing criticism. The U.S. is facing criticism for its the way that it's dealing uh, with China. And again, it has the world questioning what is the actual leadership right here, either with Russia or 
when it comes to China. Right. And when it comes to this diplomatic boycott, how much of an impact could this potentially actually have? Like, is China upset at the U.S. for kind of starting this? A little bit, yes. And and China's pushing back, saying, look, how can you boycott uh, Olympic Games if you haven't been invited? And this really shows that there are political games within the games themselves, because a nation has to invite these uh, foreign dignitaries into the country to be able to participate in the games. And they've already said that they wouldn't invite any Western nation that was either considering or actively partaking in a boycott. So there is no kind of word right now that China has extended an invite either to Ottawa or to Washington to come to the game. So they're saying, look, you can't boycott us uh, because you're simply just not going to be invited in the first place. Uh, And, you know, the games are supposed to be neutral territory for politics. But again, this is what we're seeing when you have a country like China, which is facing so many uh, kind of global finger pointings with its human rights issues, with the way that it is uh, dealing with the situation in Hong Kong and in Taiwan and in the South China Sea. Uh, There are people that are saying, look, China can't simply be a super nation that doesn't face any consequences for its actions. China simply saying, look, leave the politics out of this. Let's just do the Olympics. Right. As if that's ever happened before, right? (laughs) Like during the Cold War, that certainly was not the case. Yeah. I mean, look, diplomatic boycotts are not a new thing. They've been threatened before. They took place before. The White House has actually said this is not going to be the boycott that we saw in 1980 when the the Olympics were in Russia uh, and 65 countries opted to not send Olympic, uh, uh, send athletes to the Olympics there. The White House is saying, look, this is simply going to be, we are not going to be okay with saying business is as usual in China. We are simply going to let our athletes go. They can play. They can win the medals. Uh, We just don't need to make it seem like foreign and bilateral relations are all okay right now. The U.S. trying to keep things neutral. China is really pushing back, saying, can't be neutral. This is the Olympics. Everyone's got to play fair. Right. It just seems to me, though, that they're grasping a bit at semantics here, aren't they? Because they're trying to make it look like, well, the Western world's trying to make it look like they're doing something. And China's saying, you're not really doing anything because we didn't invite you in the first place. Well, I mean, look, it's all smoke and mirrors. China is simply trying to pass the buck by saying, look, we're not doing anything wrong. We're holding the Olympics and don't say that we're doing anything wrong within our own national interests either, because they push back and say uh, that that uh, the West, you know, criticizing the treatment of Muslim Uyghurs in China, they say that that is, quote unquote, the lie of the century. So they're not even paying attention to the actual issues that are being kind of pointed out in their own country. They are simply saying, look, push everything to the side. Let's only focus on these Olympics right now. And the rest of the world is saying, we're not going to do that. We see what you're doing. You can't pretend that you're North Korea and some insulated nation that doesn't have any problems. We all have the window into your country. Uh, The Olympics are going to be one of those moments where we can push back you know, there's only five or six countries in this boycott right now. You have to see who else is going to jump in. Right. So getting back to the Canadian aspect of this, then David Cohen is the new United States ambassador to Canada, newly confirmed, presented his papers to the governor general at Rideau Hall. Uh, So what does this mean? Does this mean we're going to hear more about Canada-U.S. relations now that we have somebody in that position? Well, considering the last person to be in that position was Kelly Kraft, and she took off under the Trump administration to go be the U.S. envoy to the United Nations, it's been a post that's been sitting empty as Canada and the U.S. have really seen their relationship uh, deteriorate at the end of the Trump administration and at the beginning of the Biden administration. So I think you will see this new ambassador try to kind of rebuild uh, that relationship that was once strong, that started to crumble a little bit. There are a lot of pressing matters, notably under this new NAFTA uh, when it comes to the EV credit. So I think you're going to see a stronger focus and possibly a more front page bit of news when it comes to Canada-U.S. relations uh, and how the economies are going to be impacted. And now that there is a steady and current and ongoing face from the United States in Washington, uh, I think that the conversations are going to be a little bit easier and not need to be so virtual with what we've been seeing. All right. Thanks so much for your time, Reggie. 
Thank you. Reggie Giacchini, our Global News Washington correspondent. So when will Canada make up its mind, decide what it's doing? Will it join this diplomatic boycott? As Reggie pointed out, United States, New Zealand, Australia, the UK, Scotland have all said they will not send any diplomats or officials to the Beijing Olympics. The U.S. ambassador to Canada says he expects of Canada and the United States to be aligned in its policy towards China. All eyes now on the Trudeau government and some kind of announcement. So we'll keep you posted. This is Mornings with Simi. It's an update for you on a story that we've been talking about this morning, about this idea of a diplomatic boycott of the Beijing Olympics. We know the United States is doing it. Australia, New Zealand, Scotland, UK said in the last you know few hours that they will also be doing it. Well, Prime Minister Trudeau in Ottawa this morning, just a few moments ago, saying there will be an announcement about Canada's decision on that coming later today from his government. So stay tuned for that. I have a feeling we'll also be joining this because I don't think he'd be saying that if we weren't. So that's coming later today. We will have that for you. Now, let's talk about police departments and COVID-19 vaccinations. So the Vancouver Police Board has decided to not require vaccinations for Vancouver police officers. And this is a really interesting decision. It's a very simple reason why they are doing it. It's a staffing issue. According to Sergeant Steve Addison, who's a spokesperson for the Vancouver Police Department, they say not implementing a mandate was the best way to meet their staffing needs. They're already short officers. They have lost more officers than they thought they were going to, uh, to like the Surrey Police Service too. So they're down officers putting in a mandate for vaccines they felt would be just going beyond what they were capable of dealing with. So, how do workplaces deal with this? Joining us is Sarah Lehman, a criminal lawyer with Sarah Lehman Law. Sarah, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me on the program. Were you surprised to hear that? You know, I kind of was. And I think that I was expecting that police officers would be required to be vaccinated, just like other frontline responders, such as firefighters uh, and city employees. So I was surprised to hear that yesterday. Absolutely. So I guess, is it different in every workplace when it comes to the law and how they how they can deal with these situations? It is. Uh, employers do have a great deal of discretion, um, subject, of course, to provincial health orders. But because the Vancouver police are a municipal detachment, they're not actually employed by the city, even though they're funded by the city. And so they are able to make decisions like this about what their membership will be required to do. Oh, okay. So that's really interesting. So that's how they're able to do this. That's right. So the Vancouver uh, Police Department is actually employed by the Vancouver Police Board. So it is a separate entity from the city, even though the city gives it all of its resources and its budget to operate. Right. Okay. So that's where the, I guess there must be some confusion because people think, well, if they're city employees and all city employees have to do this, why don't they have to do this? Yeah, that was one of the biggest questions, I think, on most people's minds yesterday, but that's the very simple answer to it. Okay, so what kind of an impact do you think this will have? Well, I think it's interesting because what they're saying is that unvaccinated officers can still come to work. They won't have any repercussions, but they will have to subject themselves to regular COVID-19 testing in order to come to work. Uh, And the police are saying that they are going to have to do that on their own expense and on their own time. But what they haven't told us is how often officers will be required to test. So, you know, you start wondering, are they going to have to test every day, every two days, once, you know, on every shift interval? How is that going to look? 
And, you know, how daunting is that going to be for officers who remain unvaccinated? Right, because then you, I guess there are questions about that too, that if you are now, you're talking about frontline officers who are potentially unvaccinated dealing with members of the public. That's right. And so they could be potentially, you know, risking uh, the health and safety of others, but also of themselves. Um, And that's a really important uh, point too. So uh, I think at this point, most police officers have been vaccinated, um, but some remain unvaccinated for a variety of different reasons. So this seems to be, a compromise in some ways, and one that one that also addresses the staffing issue that the VPD is facing at this point. So uh, I think it's a compromise in many different respects. How do you think this impacts the whole the system, right? Like if you've got, if you're trying to keep everything up and running, keeping things moving smoothly, you've got frontline workers who are not necessarily vaccinated, dealing with the public and then putting them into the legal system. Uh, this this doesn't work, though, on a, on a wider scale, right? Is it only the VPD could do this? Well, I think that it's feasible for other um, frontline responder, responders to do the same. Uh, is it something that would be advisable? I don't know. The answer is uh, probably different. Uh, but in this case, uh, due to the fact that so few members remain unvaccinated, uh, I think that regular testing, so, so long as it's done regularly, um, at least probably twice for every interval that they do work uh, to ensure that they aren't positive for COVID-19 is a good measure. Uh, Because again, they are combating those very serious staffing issues. Um, And we do need to have officers on the front lines able to respond to issues as they arise. Right. So do you think um, openness, transparency is going to be the key here, right? Telling people exactly like how often the testing is happening, what's going on? Exactly. And I think they have to make those uh, mandates uh, very uh, clear to officers as well who are expected to subject themselves to them. Uh, So it has to be something that is um, made clear and also regularly enforced. All right. Interesting. Sarah, thank you so much for your take on that. Thank you for having me. This is Mornings with Simi. A lot of concerns being raised right now about the potential for price gouging because British Columbians want to see loved ones, people who live elsewhere in the province of BC, they want to do that over the holidays. They're being told, please don't take the roads, right? The roads are in bad shape. So they thought, well, we'll fly. But now we're seeing, you know, the airfare prices going through the roof. I'm sure airlines are going to be responding to this, but we thought let's check in with Claire Newell right now, our travel expert, and of course from Travel Best Bets, and I'm sure this is going to be fixed and she's going to tell us all about it. Good morning, Claire. (laughs) Good morning, Simi. I wish there would be a quick fix to this, but... um normally people are driving and that's we have highways and the fact that that they are now damaged people do look to go and take a flight and the reality is is that there's only a certain amount of flights that go each day and those aircraft are pretty small if you've ever taken them right but can they add more because they see that there's, there's a real need right now Ideally, that would be, of course, the quickest solution. But the aircraft are typically spoken for. The staff is usually set up and it's, you know, their flight schedules are organized. I I said it actually on Global last night. And one of the the, the same thing I'll tell you is if those airlines can, they will put on more flights. They'll put on bigger aircraft to sell more seats or they'll put on um, a flight that's going back and forth more often than they were because, of course, they are in the game to make money as well. And so if they can, I'm certain that they will. This is such a unique situation. 
often at this time of the year, certainly pre-COVID, I would tell people uh, if they're looking for flights over the holidays, it doesn't really matter where that they tend to sell out before they ever go on sale. But when you add the, the, like the sheer volume of demand that we're seeing now because of the, the highway situation, it's a nightmare for everybody. And, and I understand it. I have a general manager here whose family is all in Kamloops and she desperately wants to see them over the holidays and she can't. It's $1,600 for the date she wants to travel. 1600 Per person to Kamloops. She wanted to go from either the 23rd or 24th to the 26th or 27th, like everybody. And that's the, the reality of it. Um, and on certain times and dates, there were no seats. And that's not something she's seen in the past. You could typically find seats at the most expensive rate in the travel industry. We call them full Y fares, like rack rate, basically. And they're just not even available. Okay, that's kind of crazy. Now, I know Air Canada has said that they're trying to add capacity to the markets like Kelowna and Kamloops. They've added 1,500 seats. But, I mean, how much can they do at this point if those right. are still the prices? And, yeah, and I mean, think how many people go between the interior of BC and the lower mainland. It's just huge, huge numbers. And so if they do add seats, they're going to be snapped up quickly. So keep checking back with the airline to see if more seats become available. Because if they do, like, like I say, they're going to be gone very, very quickly. Right. And for airlines, Claire, I mean, I would imagine this is not the kind of publicity they want right now. Well, well no. And... It wasn't the airline's fault. They put on the number of aircraft and seats in the market that they expected. No one expected the weather that we have had here in BC and the damage to be done to the highways. So this is not anybody's fault. This is just a terrible situation that has arisen from what's happened. Right. Okay. So this is this is not new though, right? Like we generally get these high prices, but in this case, it just sounds like it's really bad timing. It's terrible timing. And Simi, honestly, like we, you and I have talked over the three decades I've been in this industry. I always say, you know, there's times where it's as cost, it's more expensive actually to travel somewhere in BC, like going to Prince George or Prince Rupert than it is to fly to London. And that's exactly yes. what we're seeing right now. Okay. We could fly just, halfway around the world. <laughs> you just hit my like sensitive sore point on this issue because my husband's from Newfoundland. There's family in Newfoundland. We try to go, you know, and visit. It's just, it is more expensive and it always has been for 30 years to go to visit yeah. Newfoundland than it is is for me to go to Europe. I know. And it's so hard. It's so hard because we live in Canada. We have a small population and one humongous country. Because when I look at Europe and I see that the average cost pre-COVID for a inter-European flight is about 20 pounds or 20 euro, I mean. So it's really hard when you want to fly between here and Kelowna or Kamloops and it's 1600 oh return. So <laughs> yeah. do you see that improving then at all, Claire? What's the bottom line I here? I hope so. I hope so. I think the airlines know that there's a real need here in BC. If there's anything that they can do, they will do. If there are more seats in the market, though, um, they're not going to be cheap and there's not going to be that many of them. So grab what you can. Otherwise, it's one of those um, really tough situations for family who won't be able to visit. Is this uh, just another this example of the travel industry having to pivot? I mean, they've been doing it all along, <gasps> yeah. it feels like, over the last two years. 
I, I keep saying it's like a dance, Simi. It's like three steps forward, a step back, a step or two forward, three steps back. Like it's just a nightmare for the travel industry. You think of all the rules that have changed in the past week. I was traveling from December 2nd to 6th. And when I came back, we had uh, the U.S. requiring uh, an antigen test within one calendar day. Some people are thinking it's 24 hours. It's actually one calendar day of your flight. So for all those people who booked it, you know, within three days, they now have to change their appointments and make sure that that's done. And it's happening over the holidays. You're also going to have to have a secondary PCR test when you land, which wasn't the case. It's not in place yet at YVR, but it will be within days. And of course, coming over the holidays, you can imagine the lineups coming back from anywhere other than the U.S., you're going to need that secondary PCR test when you land and self-isolate okay. until you get it back negative. You're not making this sound like fun. You're not making this sound very Okay, you know what, though? I'm not I'm not changing any uh, travel plans. I'm really? still going to do it. Yeah, you okay. know what? I've been to YVR. I've, I've done six flights in the past six weeks. And it, it's just, it, it for me, it's no big deal. It's I, I've seen people, well, people randomly adapt, pulled. Right? Yeah. People adapt. And if you want to travel, just get your ducks in a row. Okay. So then for this, we, we remain hopeful that things might change. But for now, are you saying like if people see anything that looks reasonably priced, they should just book it? Take it. Take it right away because they are going to be few and far between. All right. Thank you for that, Claire. Thanks, Simi. Claire Newell, that is our Global BC, of course, travel expert, president of Travel Best Bets, talking about these high, high, sky high airfares that you're seeing for places like Vancouver to Kamloops return over Christmas or Vancouver to Kelowna. Like we're talking a thousand dollars. I plugged in a date of going say, and I'm just randomly, you know, checking December 21st to December 27th. And it was $1,400 to go to Kamloops for six days. But that's all the options that people have right now because they're being told, please don't drive. The highways can't take it. It's really not a good idea. So if you want to fly... As Claire pointed out, airlines are going to try to add more capacity as they can. Air Canada says they've added 1,500 seats. They're trying to support those transportation options, but they can only add so much. There's only so many planes and so much staff available for them to do that. So let me know if you're thinking about flying instead for this holiday season. Simi at cknw.com.